Hi, and welcome to the Time for the Good News podcast, the place where you'll hear nothing but good news. We are your hosts, Susan and Dan Gramfield. Well, welcome to episode three. So I want to start by saying thank you so much to everyone who has sent us good news stories that they've come across and told us which ones they enjoyed most last time. The most popular story by far in episode two was about Chris Nickick, the first person with Down syndrome to finish an Ironman triathlon. I mean, who wouldn't be inspired by his achievement? Close second was the story about Dunelm's Tree of Joy, which was a lovely example of giving and sharing at Christmas. So please keep sharing your good news stories with us and telling us which ones you like this time around on our Facebook page, Susan and Dan's podcast. Okay, let's get this episode started. We're well aware that there are mixed feelings about the festive season this year. For some, the usual excitement is already building, and for others, there is a sadness that they won't get to see people they would normally see. However you feel about it, it is likely to to be a bit different this year. So, we want to bring you joy and a reason to celebrate, whatever you are doing this Christmas. We have some fantastic stories to share with you from the world of nature, health, the environment, and of course, animals. Susan. Why don't you start with our first story for this episode? Okay, so I had the absolute pleasure of talking to Dr Mahendra Patel this week. And you know when you meet someone who has such a passion for what they do, it just oozes from them and it's infectious? Well, that is what Dr Patel is like. So he is a pharmacist by trade and he's now a much sought after influencer in the pharmacy world and beyond for the work that he's doing on addressing health inequalities in the black, Asian and minority ethnic and deprived communities. Now, he's been doing this work for many years um, as a member of the National Pharmacy Board and he's also a visiting professor at the University of Bradford. The good news story here is that he saw COVID-19 as a once in a lifetime opportunity to mobilise the pharmacy and other health professions to help build a bridge between communities and government health advice so that the people um, in those communities could help themselves to improve their own health and wellbeing. So I'll say more about that in a minute, um, but let me just give a bit of context. So Mahendra, and I'm sure he'll be okay with me using his first name because he's such a lovely man, he's Indian and he lives in Wakefield. And he's seen firsthand how health advice gets lost in translation, literally gets lost in translation with the BAM community, uh, meaning that people who need good health advice are just not getting it. One thing he did, um, I think it was earlier this year, it might have been last year, was he was working with diabetic taxi drivers to help them find ways to stay safe and healthy while they were working during Ramadan, because of course they fast um, during Ramadan. Um, Obviously the Muslim taxi drivers fast during Ramadan. So he took to the radio um, and communicated with them and to to tell them how to, to stay safe. And he did it in a language that they understood, literally. So he speaks Hindu, but he learned how to communicate with them in Urdu. Um, which just shows the sort of commitment to, um, to to that that you know helping these communities. Now, COVID nineteen, he's seen that as a window um, of opportunity because the people in the BAM communities are at a higher risk of death from COVID than other groups, and because of this you know language issue, um, the government advice was just not landing with them in a way that they could um, help themselves. So, um, Mahendra got involved in the Oxford Principal Trial which is all about helping medicines, uh, helping find medicines that will help people um, treat the the symptoms of COVID and therefore reduce the need for hospital admissions. 
Um, and so he's specifically looking at this um, community um, of people who are at higher risk anyway um, and who are likely not to get the vaccine until you know later on in that programme. And he wants to really help them um, through this trial. Um, when I phoned him, when I spoke to him, he had he was replying to the BBC and various local radio stations about the work that he's doing. Um, and it's not just the work he's doing, but it's how he's doing it. He is just a, such a, a passionate um, and giving person. And the thing I loved in all of this was when when I was talking to him and he said, I've done all of this from the four walls of my little room. So for me, there's something about this. It shows what can be achieved with passion um, and a willingness to engage and connect people. He's got this sense of purpose and a sense of pride in his profession. And he's doing it all from his his little, little room in his house in Wakefield. I think it's incredible. It's a great story. I mean, he's also used a you know, global pandemic to get his message out yeah. as well, which seems odd, doesn't it? It seems that he's, but he's managed to accelerate what he's trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, due to what's happening in the pandemic. Great yeah, stuff. and he's got all sorts of people and different organisations on board with this, so he's really mobilising um, a, a lot of people that that, um, that weren't on board before. So I'm going to put a link in our Facebook page in case anyone wants to hear more about uh, the principal trial that Dr Patel is leading. Good stuff. Over to you, Dan. So Scotland has its first female scout leader. Oh, great. So... Mm-hmm. In Scotland, you have the President of Scouts Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, down in England, you have Chief Scout. And mm-hmm. I think, I think Bear Grylls. It's Bear Grylls, mm. I think, at the moment. So Molly Hughes, who is an Everest and South Pole adventurer, has taken over the role. Mm-hmm. She is now President of Scouts Scotland, the first female to be in that role. The 30-year-old from Edinburgh became the youngest woman to ski solo from the coast of Antarctica to the South Pole earlier mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. Um and she said her main message at the moment to scouts is scouts should use the outdoors to boost their mental health. Mm. Something that great me message. and you believe in, actually. Yeah, great message. She yeah. also became the youngest woman to climb Everest from both the north and the south side mm. in 2017. So Goodness. she's a pioneer in all sorts of different ways. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And, you know, a female leader... Um, which, you know, is so needed in so many different um, contexts. But in this context for young people, um, it's brilliant because girls could join the Scouts. They've been able to do that for a while now, haven't they? But to have a female leader is brilliant. Great stuff. Nice. Thank you. So there's a couple of stories about amazing people doing amazing things. Um, We love talking about the environment and nature in our podcast. So my next story is about the Blue Belt Programme. Have you heard of the Blue Belt Programme? I haven't, no. Yeah, well, it's relatively new. It started in 2016. The UK government launched it with the commitment to protect and sustain UK and UK overseas territory marine environments. Now, that equates to 4.3 million square kilometres, or 1% of the world's oceans. So the Blue Belt programme is is taking care of our oceans and our seas, a bit like the Green Belt programme takes care care of our our land. So under this programme, the UK and UK Overseas Territories are custodians to the fifth largest marine estate in the world. And these territories and their waters are home to globally significant biodiversity. Um, vast penguin colonies in the South Atlantic, tropical rainforests in the Caribbean, and some of the species and habitats um, are found nowhere else on Earth. Um, And in this area, in in these territories, 85% of the critically endangered species live here. So the work is really, really important. So in November this year, 
it was announced that a community of 250 people on Tristan da Cunha, um, one of the most remote uh, inhabited islands on Earth, has made a significant contribution to marine wildlife conservation by doing things like banning bottom trawling fishing, deep sea mining and other harmful activities. Um, So doing this work is going to safeguard um, a wealth of wildlife, including things like seven gill sharks, the globally threatened yellow-nosed albatross, the Atlantic petrel, rockhopper penguins and other birds that live there. Um, so I, I really love the global reach of this programme. You know, so often we focus on ourselves and our immediate environment, you know, in the waters around the UK. Yep, that's great. But this is really getting us to think much uh, more broadly. And these waters, I had no idea, but they're really important to maintaining biodiversity. Um, so it's great. Um, my, my sister went to school with a, with a girl from Tristan de Cunha. Uh-huh. Um, it used to take her two weeks to get home. So oh from goodness. the UK, she'd have to fly to South Africa, uh-huh. to Cape Town, and then from Cape Town, get on a fishing boat, <laughs> which took between 12 and 14 days to get to Tristan de Cunha. So it gives you an idea of how remote goodness. it is. Goodness, yeah, it really is. Absolutely. Wow. That's some <laughs> trip on a fishing boat. The other thing when I was looking into this story was, um, being a, 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 a Scot myself, um, it was really interesting to find that two, the 245 inhabitants of the island live in the main village called Edinburgh of the Seven Seas. Mm, Love it. Yeah, brilliant. Good stuff. Cool. Okay, Dan, over to your favourite subject about yep, the animals. animals. So, f- from the USA, obviously we've talked in previous podcasts about the benefits of reduction in road traffic. Well, there's a study going on at the moment because... There's so many less vertebrates been killed on the roads in the US because of the reduction in traffic. So there was a 73% reduction in road traffic mm-hmm. in, um, in March, April, May in the US. Yeah. And with that came a 58% reduction in the amount of animals killed on American mm. roads. So we're talking about deer, elk, bears, mountain lions. Due to the amount of traffic movements in the USA, and local studies and various other things, they believe that 500 million less animals were killed on American roads. 500 million? 500 million less. Now, if you think about a country that has a population of 400 million, mm. on a daily basis, there's a lot of traffic movements. Mm-hmm. So a lot of traffic movements, and you know, America's a very diverse place with a lot of different environments and habitats, things like that. So that reduction in the movement of vehicles they think has reduced roadkill, they call it hmm, in the US, yeah. to half a billion less animals dying on the roads. And so if you think that's just the US, imagine all over the world, you know, in this country, yeah, in the UK, yeah. um, foxes and hedgehogs and dogs and, dogs yeah, and cats. Wow. So Fraser Schilling, co-director of the University of California, Davis Road Ecology Centre, he's a natural megaboffin. Mm-hmm. Um, he's conducting an even more detailed study to see mm-hmm. about the other um, positive effects of reduced road traffic. Brilliant. And it's not often I have a good story to tell about the Chinese government, but the, it's, this is about pangolins, oh. very cute kind of uh, yeah. mammal with scales, the most trafficked non-human mammal in the world. So in June, China gave pangolins the highest level of protection under the country's wildlife law. But the important part is, mm. pangolins were removed from its official list of approved ingredients for traditional Chinese medicine. Oh, so that wow. is where it will make the difference. 
Last year, 128 tonnes of pangolin scales were intercepted worldwide. Mm. So 128 tonnes intercepted. Mm. What wasn't intercepted, Mm -hmm. the very small animals. So that's a lot of animal deaths and scales to get those scales. So there's still some way to go because there's various loopholes and things like that. But if the Chinese government makes something law, I wouldn't want to mess with them. They've not got a great reputation for dealing with people who step on the wrong side of the law. So great news for Mm -hmm. pangolins. Yay, yay for the pangolins. And sticking with animals, um, this story was was shared with me um, by a friend. And it's all about a little owl that was saved from the Christmas tree at the Rockefeller Centre in New York. So a tiny owl was discovered by workers um, as they were transporting, transporting this year's Christmas tree from upstate New York into Manhattan. So the bird was tucked away inside the branches of a 75-foot Norway spruce and they, when they were putting it up and putting the lights on, one of the workers saw this tiny little owl with its big eyes peering out. It turns out it's a saw-wet oil, owl even. So saw, S-A-W-W-E-H-E-T. So I think that's saw-wet oil. It's one of, owl even. It's one of the smallest owls in North America. Um, now, it was taken to a wildlife centre um, and because it hadn't had anything to eat or drink, it was given lots of fluid and all the frozen mice it could eat. So oh. I think he was quite happy. Did they not defrost them? I don't know. I don't they know. must do, otherwise it'd just be licking it, hasn't it? Yeah, like I don't know. Mouse lolly. Anyway, the owl got a clean, clean bill of health. He's recuperating and he'll be re- reduced, uh, released back into the into the wild. So there Great we stuff. go. That's nice. And they've called it Rockefeller. They called it Rockefeller. Well, inventive title <laughs> right uh, oh now I've got a final story before I pass back to you Dan so Zero Waste Scotland has launched a campaign uh, with a difference so it's themed around having the best Christmas we can without the waste they're challenging the nation to come up with a Christmas first that's good, good for the planet so basically what they're saying is we've all embraced a lot of lifestyle changes over the last few months um, and a lot of those have benefited the environment. So what, they, what they're saying is while we're in this mode of doing things differently, let's see if we can come up with practical ideas and tips to make small changes that will cut our carbon footprint linked to waste um, as we go into the festive season. And um, so they, they've given suggestions, things like asking for a secondhand gift, which I thought was a bit odd at first, but... If you think about things like eBay and um, Gumtree and your local sort of buy and sell Facebook pages, people are buying and selling stuff all the time. So it's not necessarily about you giving someone secondhand, but you could actually ask for something that might be secondhand. Or pre-loved is another way to describe it. Um, obviously, subscriptions, donations, sponsorships are a great way to you know have a gift that keeps on giving and maybe support a good cause. Making your own wrapping paper. Yeah, so recycling Ooh. wrapping paper, using your kids' drawings. Um, they do say avoid glitter and foil um, as paper mixed with these can't be recycled. And then they talked about having a dinner conference. So instead of everybody buying lots and lots of food and half of it going to waste, have a chat ahead of time and decide who's going to buy what. We already do that in our family, so I think we're ahead of our time. Um, but Zero Waste Scotland's encouraging people to share their own Christmas firsts on social media using the hashtag Christmas Trimmings. So there we go. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. And final story from you, Dan. I couldn't imagine any better news. Mm. Uh, the Queen has launched her own gin. Woohoo! Yeah. So, all the ingredients, <laughs> all the ingredients come from the Royal Estate in Sandringham mm-hmm. in Norfolk. Uh, the gin has some special ingredients such as Sharon fruit, uh, also known as Chinese persimmon. Mm. Mm. Very posh. Mm. 
Also, if you want to get really close to the royal family, every sip will get you a little closer to them. <laughs> so <laughs> the ingredients have all come, come from plants that have been um, cultivated from cuttings, yeah, in the, on the Sandringham estate. So, for example, the myrtle leaves, I'm presuming not bog myrtle, <laughs> Uh, were taken from a plant that was grown from a cutting taken from Princess Alexandra's wedding bouquet on her marriage to Prince Edward, mm. who later became King Edward the Seventh, mm-hmm. and she became Queen Alexandra. So a little piece of that yeah. bouquet was grown into the myrtle plant. Mm. That myrtle's now being used in the gin. So Goodness. it's almost you're almost drinking part of the royal family. Okay, drinking a bit of history. Yeah, you're getting so close Mm -hmm. to them. Little did I know that the royals already produce Buckingham Palace gin. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a Balmoral single malt distilled at the Royal Loch Nagar distillery. And Prince Charles's Highgrove estate produces a wide range of organic spirits. Mm. Goodness, they like their beers, their oils. They certainly do, don't they? Mm. I think the Queen's very fond of gin mixed with Dubai, a heady mixture. Oh, for goodness sake. I know, yeah. Well, so on that note, um, that's our good news stories for this episode. Um, we've still got loads of good news stories, to be honest. Um, so we might well bring you another episode before Christmas. Um, and just want to finish by saying, remember to share your good news stories with us on Facebook, Susan and Dan's podcast. And um, yeah, we'll be back with you on our next episode sometime soon. See you all. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>